0: See Chicago's game day only on ESPN One Thousand at ESPNChicago.com.
1: You got him swinging, Darvish punches out the side at strikeout number five for you, Darvish. Signing of you, Darvish for the Cubs is a boon to the team. Ten strikeouts over seven shutout innings for you, Darvish. A three-two,
2: swing and a miss.
1: Twelfth strikeout of the night. Well, he put in a good night's work. A real good deal for the Cubs. One that they didn't foresee when the offseason. This is Chicago's
0: Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. I don't know if I
3: can continue the yelling as much as uh, I heard in the first hour here on ESPN <laughs> 1000. Fred Huebner, along with my mic, my ja, mic jack doesn't work.
4: Fred, that's a problem that uh, some of us have from time to time, and I know that there's uh, different things you can take uh, yeah. for that. For the mic jack, uh, I'm I think sure we'll th- figure it out. There's, there's a lot, this lot of commercials, commercials on, Sunday on, uh, morning on yeah. ESPN that offer assistance. <laughs> sure some of them are like two people singing in a bathtub holding yeah. hands, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs>
3: For all of the, uh, for all the people out there that are Cub fans, you can relax. Don't worry about season ticket prices this year. This just in, the MLB has decided to cancel the 2018 oh, yeah. season. They will just set you up for the Astros and the Cubs in the World Series. It will be a 162 game World Series between those two teams. <laughs> and if they are tied at the end, there will be a tiebreaker, the 163rd game, because after the Cubs get you Darvish, there's no point in playing the season. The Cubs are by far the best team in not only the National League Central but in all of baseball, except for the Astros.
5: I'm going to start doing what you do and just say, "Hey, there's no point in watching the NBA <laughs> season because it's just going to be Cavs and Warriors or Warriors and Celtics or whatever." So now I'm just going to do the same thing for the baseball season. There's a no, real good chance. Don't watch baseball, Astros and Cubs. There's
3: a really, a really, really good chance of that. I mean, and uh, you know, you have the best pitching staff. Now the question is, it's the dreaded. You know, injury. You just got to keep your pitching staff healthy. And um, you know, you Darvish signed yesterday with the Cubs. Six years, one hundred and twenty-six million. I agree with Adam Abdallah. I don't like giving a thirty-two-year-old. <laughs> yes. I don't like giving a thirty-two-year-old a six-year deal. But I also agree that it's not our money, so we shouldn't care about it. Plus, he is a buy, He is an opt-out after the second year. So if the Cubs win the World Series. Maybe he can get more money from someone else if he pitches real well and says, you know what? I want more than 21 million. I'm going to leave. That wouldn't be a bad deal for the Cubs. They win World Series and get Darvish off their books in two years. Yeah, that's the way to look at it. That's that, the that perfect. Would be, way to
4: look that would at be it. a good way for it to work out uh, financially for the Chicago Cubs because then you can spend your money elsewhere. You couldn't. You can go after Bryce Harper if that's what you want to do, and maybe like we were talking about last hour, maybe, maybe Tyler Chatwood turns into a legit, right. you know, solid starting pitcher that you don't have to worry as much about your number one ace because I think that's what makes the U Darvish deal so important for the Chicago Cubs this season is that now you can argue that they have two guys who can be your number one ace and a guy who's damn near close in Kyle Hendricks so or, Lester
5: Darvish Hendricks or he can't fix his problems from the World Series he continues tipping his pitches and the guys are paying a and the Cubs are paying oh. a guy who's you know in his mid 30s 21 million a year and that's always a possibility
3: yeah. It is. It's it always is. a possibility. And you, Darvish, he, he, hopefully this, you know, he opened up the floodgates. Hopefully, the rest of this week, before pitchers and catchers report on Wednesday, we'll hear about Arietta and we'll hear about Alex Cobb and we'll hear about uh Lance Lynn and all these other guys. And JD Martinez is still hanging around waiting. But, and I tweeted yesterday as soon as I heard it, I was at a beer festival on top of Rock Bottom Brewing down here Fred, on You State. were at a beer festival? Yes. No yeah, shocking. Um, on the roof, and some guy from Moore Brewing in Villa Park, I'm talking to him, and I introduced myself. I said, I've been to your brewery out in Villa Park. It's a great place. He goes, hey, did you hear about Darvish? I said, no. I've been here drinking <laughs> beer for the last hour. And I didn't have a Cubs alert on my phone. So he he informed me, supposedly the sports guy, um, that Darvish should sign with the Cubs. So at that point, I had another couple of beverages and just tried to figure it out. But I said, when I, as soon as I Got my faculties to be able to text. I said, <laughs> I said, this sounds silly, but the Cubs got a bargain because getting Darvish at $21 million is is actually a good deal. FanRag Sports listed that three months ago, John Heyman said Darvish would sign for six years, 144. Another expert in the same piece said six years, 155. And MLB Trade Rumors said six years, 160. So six years, 126. That's a bargain for yeah. a guy like this. And this is gonna mean that Arietta and Cobb and all these guys are gonna get a little less than they thought they were gonna get. And yeah. that's why I had thought that if you really wanted if you really wanted to get Arietta or Cobb, you could have said, listen, we'll give you, you know, twenty-two or twenty-three for four years, take it or leave it. Well, maybe they did. Maybe the Cubs and other teams did do that. Um, but you know, six years of twenty one million Not a bad deal to get a guy like Hugh Darvish, especially if he can figure out what went wrong in the World Series.
5: I think the thing is that everybody wanted more years. Like all the pitchers, every pitcher wants more years because you never know when your arm is just going to fall off, basically. Yeah. Like, so, Arietta, he's probably going to get more money than Darvish overall. Not overall, but per year. year. But he's going to get less years. And Cobb, same with Cobb, because, you know, Cobb might get a, a few million dollars less, but Hugh Darvish was the the highest sought-after pitching free agent. And the Cubs got him, and that, that's great. But I know that Theo and Jed would go out of their way to say that we don't, like, the Cubs weren't going to be giving middle-aged pitchers six-year deals. Yeah. And they did.
3: Right. I know they did. And uh, I just want to let everyone know, $21 million uh, dollars for Darvish. There's a guy standing in right field making great catches making $23 million. Right. Right. Jason Hayward. So he is the highest paid cub, I think, because you look at um you look at the other deal, um 155 for what was it what was it, uh five or six for uh, Lester? Was it one fifty five for six? I believe so. Yeah. So he gets twenty five point eight. So he's the highest paid, followed by Hayward, and then Darvish slips mm-hmm. in as the third highest paid guy. Listen, they needed another starter. Everybody knew that. Theo knew that. Everybody knew they needed one. I kind of thought that they weren't going to go after these guys. But they were fortunate that the Dodgers and Yankees said, listen, we're not going to go over the luxury tax. We don't want to pay the penalty. Right. So what you had said, Chris, the other mm-hmm. day when I was working with you on Friday, I don't think that what you had heard on um, radio in Los Angeles was wrong. I think Darvish was
4: waiting for the Dodgers to free up money. Right. And they couldn't do it. And they decided not to. And yeah. yeah. So I was listening to 710 earlier in the week, ESPN 710. They're talking about how you, Darvish, and their sources definitely wanted to stay in L.A. Uh, but like I said earlier with you, Abdallah, the L.A. Times last night was talking about what Fred just mentioned, and that they, they didn't want to go over the luxury tax, so they didn't have the money. same with the Yankees. And that's why the top two teams who would have usually been the bidders for Darvish weren't there and, and the money wasn't there. So the Cubs are the ones that swoop in and they get them. They sign a pitcher that, you know, in 2015, they signed John Lester. He was 31. you Darvish is 31 and it's worked out well for for John Lester and the Chicago Cubs. So I get your concern, Adam, and I get the final couple of years of you Darvish. But, you know, if they get four good years and this window continues to stay open, I, I think it's a pretty good deal. And like Fred, you pointed out, the ability to not have to pay – the extreme right. for this guy because yeah. the market has been down this off season. I think changes things. Well, yeah. The other
5: concern is also, and I would hope that this wouldn't be the case, but when Bryce Harper is yeah. available next year, and every Cubs fan is basically assuming that Bryce Harper is going to be a Cub next year because he loves Chicago and him and uh, Chris Bryant are best friends or they whatever. Your age, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they have movie nights and all that kind of stuff, and it's great. But will the ownership will the rickets say look we paid for lester we paid for hayward we paid for darvish we've got bryant we've got rizzo we've got schwarber who everybody hopes has a good year this year And let's assume that schwarber does have a decent year right let's not say great year decent year we've got all these hitters we don't need we don't need bryce, bryce harper. harper we won the world series we don't need bryce harper where are you we're gonna, not paying for him where are you going to put bryce harper You'll find a place for no, him. Uh, he's he's going to
4: play Rover, Fred? Uh, You'll find a place place <laughs> float, Fred. float what, about the field? Yeah. What I'm
3: saying is, you've got a guy that you're paying eight years, $184 million in right field. I, you, you move him to center? And then put Bryce Harper in right, and then you, at that point you'll have four what you know one hundred million dollar contracts, and what his is going to be two hundred at someone. least, right? You, you trade someone, but yeah, but if you trade Schwarber, you're not getting money off the books because no, he doesn't make because he anything. doesn't make any right. money. Exactly, no one's going to pick up Hayward, no, exactly, no one's going to pick up Lester or Darvish. you're not, you're not going to trade those guys. So
5: does this hamper their ability to? Will, will the Rickett say I'm not I'm not going over the one hundred ninety seven right. million tax threshold? I'm not paying the luxury tax. We've got a team that go, went to the NL. CS or went to the World Series or won the World Series or whatever. We're fine with what we have. I'm not paying for for uh, for Harper.
4: Guys, also, uh, don't forget that Anthony Rizzo in 2020 has a team option, and then the following year, 2021, is a free agent. So do you think that he's just going to sit here quietly and not expect a new contract at some point over the next two years? You know what I mean? Like, like you, it brings up an interesting point because as you project out this Cubs team and the window staying open is now you have to look at when you pay Chris Bryant, when you pay Rizzo a second time sure. to a big contract. And then now you have you Darvish, you have John Lester. Lester will probably never get a big contract again. But you, these are the big dollar guys on the team, Jason Hayward, at the very top. And, and that's what you have to look forward to going forward with the Chicago Cubs. You also have Quintana at some point will need a new deal. I believe he's a free agent in 2020 as well. Well, you got all these guys so, under
3: contract. I think for three, you have your pitching staff under contract for the next three seasons.
4: Yeah, you can uh, keep Quintana on a team option for eleven point five million yeah. in twenty twenty. Twenty twenty one is a uh, free agent. Yeah. So, I mean, that's how you have to project out because Russell will need a deal. Baez is Baez going to be here in the long? term for the Chicago Cubs? Or is he someone that gets flipped off for prospects, maybe? I mean, is his value higher to but those again, outside the organization? They're not clearing any money, though. Right. No, I, I know, but, but my point is, you can't pay Bryant, Russell, Baez, Rizzo, Rizzo again. You, you can't Along with Lester, Darvish, Schwarber right. as well. Yeah. So, like, your window of the young, talented players on the roster is here now, and then you're going to have to figure out how you're going to keep this core together, or... I assume what will happen because this is what happened in Boston with Theo and and Jed is that you're going to pick a couple and then you're going to bring up a new young core of guys throughout the farm system. The problem is your farm system is completely empty right now.
5: Well, and you're not you don't have the luxury of drafting, you know, second overall and first overall for a few years. The success to the Red
4: Sox over the last five years has been they've been good because of guys coming up through the system. And a lot of those guys were
5: plucked by Theo Epstein when he was still in Boston. Well you, you, you with, bargained with the second wave. Well you bargained with bringing over Quintana with the trade with the White Sox for Eloy Jimenez. Right. And so you got rid of your best prospect that way. And the year before you got rid of Glyber Torres. Exactly. Right. So right. you're kind of you're trying to maximize the window you have now and you did that by signing you Darvish, making you probably the favorite to win the, the national league this year. The question is, and it look, it's a good signing. It's it's you Darvish. He's the best pitching uh free agent out there this year. He's one of the best pitchers in baseball. He had a bad World Series. I get that. It's a good signing. It's a little long for me, but does that impact what you do next year? Okay. With Bryce Harper. Uh,
3: and and I agree with you on that. Three one two three three two three seven seven six. The other thing that you guys were saying, and I think the, the caller that Called you? You know, there's there's almost nothing worse than calling <laughs> there's almost nothing worse than calling a Cubs fan a Sox fan, um, <laughs> right. or yeah. vice versa. Yeah, and anybody calling Abdallah a Sox fan would be so wrong. It, it's ridiculous. I
5: just, I just like because I'm I'm skeptical. It's not it's not cool for me to be skeptical about it. Like that's my favorite part about it. It'd be it's like, like I gotta be you a Manchester United fan. Oh no, no exactly no. I mean, you, there's, there's only when I bet on them, right? There's there's no
3: <laughs> real real bigger insult than that. But when you guys were talking, there's mm-hmm. one thing: if Darv, if over the next year or two the Cubs win another World Series, it doesn't matter. They went 108 years without winning one. Okay? Baseball's not... You've seen no one's repeated. Yeah. Since what? 2000 uh, in the American League? And boy, I think it's... 17, 1974 or five in the you know in the national league no right. one's repeated so if you're able to win one or two more World Series, it doesn't matter what you spent. Theo's gonna be a god forever. You will have won three World Series. You know, um he got out of Boston. They're they're struggling even to get into the playoffs and things. So it's not gonna matter. You, you they're all only worried about one thing right now. They're worried about this year,
4: twenty eighteen. Yeah, as they should be right, as they should be. Right, because especially the way last year worked out, that you got to the end and you just didn't have enough. Mm-hmm. And you know, like I don't know if you Darvish really swings that series because I think when you look back to the Dodgers and the Cubs, it was the bullpen. The bull- the Cubs could not get past the Dodgers bullpen because it was so lights out. So once you got to the sixth inning in games in the NLCS, it was over. Yeah, you know I mean, and that and that's like that's I think the thing to kind of bring back into focus today is you get Darvish. But when you get into a playoff series, the bullpen matters just as much as your four stud pitchers. So they can take you there, but you got to have a bullpen that can close it out. And right now the Chicago Cubs don't have a closer. No, they don't. But as you were talking
3: about this, the signing of Darvish in my opinion, we'll get to the phone's at 312-332-3776. Obviously talking a lot of Cubs and you Darvish. The the signings they made before this, the Steve Cschak and Brian Dunsing bringing him back. And I can't believe that Justin Grimm didn't win his arbitration case. Um, Brandon Morrow, you know, bringing him in, bringing these guys in. And then you have Justin Wilson, who can't be as bad as he was last year. That's going to make the Cubs' bullpen so much better. And now they've got Darvish. And if you looked at it, when Darvish was with the uh, Dodgers, they didn't really let him throw much more than five and a third, five and two thirds. They could get him out of here. And you you know watching Joe Madden. He's more than ready to make the you know make the play. He probably knows that in use third start of the regular season he will go four and a third and won't face the guy for the third time or something. Mm-hmm. I mean because that's the way he does. He lays it all out do, based on their computer system. So their bullpen, I'm, I'm sitting upstairs making a list. I've got 26 guys on the roster already. They've got 13 pitchers, um, and they're the, Chris Jimenez, who was ca- the catcher for you Darvish, sure. mm-hmm. is going to be there. Sorry, Caratini, you're going to be in the minors. Listella happens. Overest. And the starters, that's it. The roster set. It's forget practice. Joe Madden should say, here, you guys go on out, recreate for a little while, play your spring training games with all the minor leaguers, and we'll meet yeah, you up in
4: Miami for the four-game series to start the season. You know, Fred, uh, but the one thing with that I kind of still point to the Dodgers with is that Kenley Jansen is still there. Yes, he is. And last year against the Cubs in the NLCS, Kenley Jansen threw four and one uh, third innings pitched. He had eight strikeouts. No hits, no runs, no earned, and he was lights out. So he really was the thing that swung the series because once they got to the end of the game, even though the Cubs' bullpen is improved, they don't have Ken- Kenley Jansen. Yeah. So how are you going to get past that? You have your stud lineup that you don't have to worry about day one because everyone's there. But can these guys perform against the best shutdown closer in all of
5: baseball? Well, and that's what you need. That's what they had in the world when they won the World Series two years ago. You you got to Chapman and Chapman shut it down. Yeah. Like you 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 need that. And whether Madden overused him or whatever, you need that's what you needed. You, I, you needed a guy that you could ride when you get and if you need the two the two inning save, you just did it.
3: When you get to be my age, sometimes it's it's better to write things down. But I'm trying to remember I heard this <laughs> stat earlier this week, and it's that The last seven World Series championship teams did not end the season with the same closer that started the season. Right. So they all go on out and pick somebody up. Even way back when when the White Sox won. They had three closers that year. Mm-hmm. Bobby Jenks was their last guy. So when you go into the season and you're saying Brandon Morrow and Steve Seashak, they'll well, you know what? The Cubs are gonna look for one thing probably when it comes later in the season. A shutdown closer. Oh, a yeah, guy that pops for up. Someone, for sure. A guy that pops up, they'll make a deal, and you won't see Brandon Morrow. Unless Brandon Morrow comes out and his lights out lights out, you know. Uh he pitched pretty well last year, except for the one game where they said they weren't going to pitch him. He convinced the Dodgers to pitch him, and he was bad. Other than that, he was really good in the playoffs last year. So yeah. there's always that possibility. Let's grab a call before we take a break. We'll be here all morning talking. We also have Kelly Crawl from MDC Sports Chicago joining us around 1030. Chris Herring, and again, from 8 to 9, I listen to you guys as I do every Sunday. Mm-hmm. I have not heard you guys talk baseball for a full hour. It was enjoyable.
4: I, I, uh... Hold on, Fred. We During the baseball playoffs, <laughs> yeah, we on. do? Come, come on, on. We give no, you no, the no. breaking Fred, news. No. You, the,
3: Fred, you work in the offseason of the NBA for at least 15 oh, to 20 man. minutes. I, Fred, it, it's
4: tough. i <laughs> mean, here in February. I mean, you think that you're in a baseball-free zone, but here comes the hot stove flying
5: in uh, Fred, with when, the snow. When it's it Cubs won the NLCS, we were here at 4, was it yeah, four it was, in the morning. Uh, 4 yeah. in the morning. The party kept on rolling with yeah us. We didn't sleep.
3: Okay, one show.
5: <laughs> you one. said you've never heard us. Well, it
3: was four in the morning, so I didn't hear that show. Because it was, it was, it was, I, I think Murph and I were on after they won at five. Were we were we were on till three. We were on from the time the game ended, I think, till three or I don't know one till five or something like that. It was crazy, but they're they're setting up to try to win another one, and everyone's gonna you know if they if they do win another one, that's great. Darvish making uh, he's going to be now one of sixteen pitchers who will be paying more than twenty million in twenty eighteen. Let's go on out to Burridge quickly. And John, you're on ESPN one thousand. Hey,
6: John, it, it's done. Anyways, um, couple things. <clears throat> Number one, for all the people crying about the six year deal. They had to do what they had to do. If if the Cubs didn't sign anybody, those same people would be crying that the Cubs didn't do anything. I, I, I 100% agree with you. I think this is a good deal uh, price-wise. Number two is uh, Darvish has a, a two-year opt-out. Right. So after two years, if, if he's kicking butt and it gives him more incentive to kick butt, he could be gone in two years. Number three is I question how the, the dollar value is per year. I would imagine with the, the opt-out after two years, it's probably a higher price the first two years, and it goes down. So there's more incentive for him to, to opt out. Um, and one last thing is I I think the problem with the Cubs is Madden taking out his pitchers too early. At the end of the year, some of these relief pitchers get worn out. Like, I think Edwards was worn out because they pitched him so much. I would hope that Madden would give some of these starters a little bit more leash, six, seven innings and kind of save their middle relief because, The middle relief and the the relief pitchers are a little bit more important come playoff
3: time. Well, and, Don, I appreciate the call. I think the one thing he's going to do is he knows he has a guy that is now going to have his head down, and they're going to have to cheer him up because he's now relegated to the sixth guy again and the long-term guy, and that's Mike Montgomery, who Mm -hmm. said in the offseason he would love to start. He's told everybody he'd love to start. Well, right now they know he's not. But maybe you throw him out there a little bit so all your starters get a little bit more of a rest. To, and his, he has a possibility. Yeah, I mean, the swing guy. Yeah, he can be the swing guy. Maybe you do that to rest your pitchers a little bit. And I understand that he likes going to the bullpen and uses his guys. But, you know, uh, you got a new pitching coach. Maybe he can make sure that Carl Edwards and Pedro Strop throw the ball over the plate instead of walking people.
5: And to Don's first point about they had to do what they had to do, I thought that was the point of these holdouts. Like the, the owners holding out and not... Giving these guys money or, or, or years, I thought that was, was the point was resetting the market, right? And they didn't do that. Well, just that they, you know,
3: if you're, you know, if people thought he was going to make six years one sixty, and now he's making six years one twenty six, that's you know, well, that's, the, money wise, but the point million. was to yeah. not
5: give these guys six
3: year I deals. I agree with you. I, and if I'm, a, if people were talking about collusion, if I'm an owner, I'm not giving anybody that's 32 years old six years. That's no. is. Is you, Diver's going to be pitching for the Cubs when he's
5: thirty seven? I don't like, think so. like I know you want the security of the 6-year deal but if you would have gone to You Darvish and said hey we're going to give you 60 million for 2 years does he say no no I of course so. not I wouldn't think so. Yeah, you gotta pay a little more, you gotta pay nine million more a year, but you're done after two years. You know yeah.
4: what's funny about it is everyone uh, complained about it all off season and, and cried about it because oh look at these pitchers, they're not getting their money after age thirty and all this stuff. It's like do you think anyone in the NBA is paying Vince Carter a five year contract at this point of his career? No, no, because he's old. Yeah, Man, but you, I you know get what he Jeff- does.
3: I, I, he keeps getting those one and two million because year he deals. proves it, though. Exactly. But, but like
4: that's that's what I'm, I'm it's pointing great for to It's yeah. like when you get past 31, 32, 33 as a free agent in baseball, teams are smart now. They're not going to give you a five, six, seven-year deal. It's just not going
5: to happen. No, and you've got all these all the, the the new school GMs and the new school and the owners and stuff that the guys that are doing the analysis of all of these players and. The analysis is to not give guys that are over 30 long-term contracts. And that's exact. the guys who started the model of Sabermetrics and all that kind of stuff gave a guy who's 32 six years. I know you can opt out, but that's fine. If they win the World Series and he makes a bunch of money and he has a Cy Young year, whatever, he can opt out. That's fine. But there's a chance that he doesn't. And then you're stuck with him for six years, and it could hold up – signing Bryce Harper it could do, I'm just a little more skeptical I guess than most people No, Adam I don't No know. Adam Abdallah, <laughs> don't a Hey yeah. man yeah. I guess that's me today that's fine
3: 3123323776 we come back we'll talk more about the U Darvish signing was he the right guy or should they have tried to bring um Jake Arietta back. Your calls
0: 312-332-3776 right here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's game day, only on ESPN 1000 and espnchicago.com. Hey, off the judge. Got him swinging. Darvish punches out the side.
3: Now, the Cubs fans are going to hope that he does that this year for the North Siders, you Darvish getting a 6-year, 126 million dollar deal. It's nice to be able to talk about people actually signing instead of just thinking who's going to sign where. But that's what we worry about next. Chris Black, Adam Abdallah, Fred Huebner here until noon. We'll be talking with Kelly Kroll from NBC Sports Chicago at around 1030. Hey, Cap's going to join us around 1140.
5: I was surprised it took him so long to react to the news. Like I know he's got cub alerts set on his phone, his iPad, his other phone, his other other phone. And his computer. Uh-huh. But I was, like, waiting. Like, I opened up Twitter. I saw the deal, and I'm scrolling, and I'm waiting for the cap. But then, of course, he had to take to Paris. You, you know the story behind this, because there can't just be Cap missing the story.
4: No, he was calling three games at the same time. While working out. While working out in the sauna. <laughs> on his bike that he wheeled into the sauna to get the extra Which sweat on. Which is actually sure. in a cryo chamber. Yeah, it, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's a whole thing. And, you know, I... I applaud him for this. Uh, at least he sat down, put his phone down for once, and just got a good workout in. Yeah, and usually Cap is just like he's got to do fifteen thousand things at once. Uh, but it's not. It's kind of refreshing that he missed uh, missed it I, and and then had to catch up afterwards.
5: I know Kelly's in Arizona, but yes. I can't wait to see how long it took Cap to call everybody from NBC Sports. To try to get a show together yesterday. Well, he, did he was a, on yesterday. He yeah. did
3: a thing. Um, I think a, they're on today too. Yeah, he did a thing earlier, and <laughs> it was a video thing, like a sixty-second thing. Yeah. Uh, that was on Twitter. Then he also uh-huh. did a Facebook thing and uh, a Periscope.
4: So he's done it all. He hasn't uh, so done an far. Instagram video, so we need to wait for that. And he's done uh, the Twitter holding up his phone yet? Yeah. yeah. Has, has he? he snapped anyone? Is, do we have any? Yeah, he gave snaps? you his
5: you Darvish breakdown with the dog face. Oh, it was a little uh, ears? Yeah, he did the, the ears and the nose as a dog face. So Leave Cap alone. So we got Cap coming up <laughs>
3: around 11.40, and it'll be great to get... Uh, his thing, You know, the other thing I want to ask him, and I know he he probably doesn't know or they don't want to comment, but you know how the Bulls, we'll get right back to your calls, 312 talking about you, Darvish. Was it the right selection, Darvish over Arietta Your thoughts here on ESPN 1000. But the one thing that NBC Sports Chicago has been doing this year with the Blackhawks and the Bulls games is they've been doing a, po- a pregame and a postgame no matter which channel they're on. Sure. You think they're going to do that for the Cubs and the White Sox too? And if so, that would mean that Cap would now have to work Every game, every game, or you know, a good hmm. majority of the games. Because I thought I think it's great. If you're a Bulls fan and the game's on Channel Nine, you know Neil and Stacy come back and they say, "Okay, thanks a lot. We lost," and then there, it's over. Yeah. Where you can switch over to NBC Sports Chicago and see it. And the same thing with the Blackhawks. You can see Pat Boyle try to explain seven straight losses about the uh, with the Blackhawks, but do you think they're going to do that? <laughs> I'm sure
4: he enjoyed that last night. Yeah, yeah. you think they're going to do that? So
3: Garf, so Garfine and Melton have to work after every Sox game because as a fan, yeah, it's, it's something you want to see. You want to see more coverage
4: now, Fred, as uh, sports consumers that we are, yeah. Adam, myself, and you. Uh, that's great. I yeah, think, that's cool. I think it's outstanding. <laughs> I also like it from um, inside the business angle that. People are getting to work more. more. more I I think think that's fantastic as well. Uh, There's a time we used to have Bulls buzz, even though we didn't have the Bulls on our air. Yeah, Yeah. Bulls buzz. Rest in peace, Bulls buzz. Uh, But, you know, I think it's good. And we do that for, like, when the Cubs play a playoff game. We have post-game shows afterwards. Cubs buzz um so yeah it's great it would be it would I be, think it's
3: outstanding and, and obviously should. you can find and you can find it then on you know online you can hit hit up twitter or yeah, facebook I mean, live or Fred, whatever that's the be. key
4: is uh in 2018 you know you can do a full production show and just put it on facebook live or or tweet out the video of it and people consume it just like they will watching it on tv i know tv stations want the tv numbers
0: See Chicago's Game Day only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com.
1: Got him swinging. Darvish punches out the side. That's strikeout number five for you, Darvish. Signing of you, Darvish for the Cubs is a boon to the team. Ten strikeouts over seven shutout innings for you, Darvish. A three-two, swing and a miss. Twelfth strikeout of the night. Well, he put in a good night's work. A real good deal for the Cubs. One that they didn't foresee when the offseason began. This is
0: Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com.
3: Oh, what more do you talk about on a Sunday morning than the Cubs signing you Darvish to a six-year, $126 million deal? Fred Hubner, along with Chris Black, Adam Abdallah, we're here till noon. Kelly Krell from NBC Sports Chicago will join us at 10.30 from Arizona. Chris Herring from ESPN and 5.38 will join us talking some NBA at 11. Big game coming up today. I guess you'd call it a big game, right?
4: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Sunday Showcase, Cavs and the Celtics. You can hear the game right here on ESPN 1000. You can also watch it on ABC at 2.30 and the ESPN app.
3: Yeah, so that'd be... I didn't watch the the Spurs-Warriors game last night. Um, The Dubs had a uh, big third quarter, Fred.
5: Yeah, they were losing at the end of the first. Surprise, surprise. And then they won. Surprise, surprise. Yeah,
3: and you know, by winning (laughs) yesterday... Uh, Steve Kerr, and you mm-hmm. probably heard it during the update, Steve Kerr became the quickest coach in any of the four major sports to get to 250 victories. I think he did it in 302 games. And, uh, they asked, uh, one of his star players about that yesterday, Draymond Green.
1: Draymond, your thoughts on uh, Steve Kerr? I believe he became the, the quickest coach ever to win 250 games. What does that mean to you? I mean, he got some good players.
7: No, I'm just fine. <laughs> <laughs> No, um, I mean, that's, that's incredible. Obviously, you know, Steve never had any coaching experience and, you know, to accomplish something like that, you know, says a lot, you know, I think, uh, with the continuity that he brought, um, you know, to the organization, not only on the basketball court, you know, but just, you know, in the, in the culture and and all of that, um, You know, it's made a made a difference, and you know that's why we've been able to have the success that we've
3: had. Now, could he have just stopped when he said he's got good players and gone to the next question?
4: Yeah, sure he could. (laughs) Um, I mean, and Draymond's obviously kidding there, but like the what what Steve Kerr has done with the Golden State Warriors, it's been uh, incredible. Yeah, his uh, decision to take out Andre Iguodala from the starting lineup and then insert Draymond Green and then kind of form the team around the fact that Draymond's gonna be the defensive star. Mm-hmm. Everyone else plays off that is why this team went on the run they did a couple of years ago and why they've been the best team in the NBA. So it was a coaching decision to get that done and get that accomplished and now Steve Kerr doing that. So now he's and now he's
3: it's there and he sits back and watches mm-hmm. the
4: games.
5: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but you, I mean you see when he's like mic'd up, you see him like the way he communicates with his players, right. the way he is in the huddle and everything. It's just it's like a whole different culture that they've created right. around winning and around like always like he's not like ever yelling at people like there was one like a week ago where he's just talking up Steph and just saying how much they need him and they need him to be good. He's like he's just going through the statue. He's like, "Look at you. We're like a plus whatever." We need you to be like this. We need you to go out there and take shots like you do. And that's just, like, Steph doesn't need to be talked up. Right. But Steve Kerr still instills that and still does that, which makes him, I mean, you have to be as good of a promoter as you are when the team plays bad, you know? You know what it is? It's
4: really, Steve Kerr is the perfect head coach for the millennial generation. Yeah. He is the perfect coach for today's athlete.
5: Well, because, yeah, because if they were losing and he was just yelling and throwing clipboards and stuff, which he does from time to time when they're playing poorly, he's broken a few clipboards. Mm -hmm. That's why when you that's why when he gets mad, you know, he's mad, right? Because he never, he rarely gets mad. But when he does, you know, like it's, you know, it's like a teacher that you had that like everybody's cool with, and like he's like everybody's favorite teacher, and they love him. And then Then he goes off on someone, and you're like, oh, whoa, we've never (laughs) seen that before. He must be really, really mad.
3: So we'll talk more NBA with uh, Chris Herring coming up at 11 o'clock. There's a lot going on in uh, the NBA. Uh, The Cavaliers with you know getting rid of six players, bringing in four, and now officially uh, Derek Rose is on the market. He was uh, officially release the other day.
4: Yeah, he's still out there. Uh, there was a report yesterday that the Washington Wizards are interested in signing him because John Wall is out for a couple more weeks. Um, I, you know, I, I'm not sure. I know they need some depth at point guard to help get through until John Wall is back. Yeah, I, I don't know if they need. Derrick Rose. Does
3: anybody need Derek Rose? Look at you, honestly, you've got, no. You've got Derek Rose, a guy who was signing one-year deals, thinking he can sign another long-term deal. And then I mentioned this to you Friday. Last year, we were sitting here talking about a little five-nine or whatever he is guy who could have been the MVP, was leading the league in scoring, and now uh, he had twenty-two last night with the Lakers. I know uh, off the bench, but yeah, Isaiah you, Thomas. Yeah, yep. you've got Isaiah Thomas. What? What's you know? Has his. Um, the view of him completely gone out of the window? No,
4: I mean, for Isaiah to be... His landing spot is going to be a team that needs him to use uh, his ability to score, take all the shots, and to kind of build your offense off of that. And that's what Brad Stevens did last year with the Celtics. So for his future, A, you got to find someone willing to give max money to a small point guard, which is tough to do, especially a point guard that doesn't necessarily make others better because if you're a small point guard... But you get everyone else going, then I could see spending the money. Uh, in Derrick Rose's case, you know it's. I think he's just going to have to play out his career, trying to latch on places One and, and just deals. be. See, here's the key: when you look at the NBA, there's a apex to someone's career, and then as they come down from the apex, do you add skill to your game? Do you add a three-point shot? Do you add the ability to defend? Do you add this? Do you add that? From what I've seen from Derrick Rose, is since the injury he has yet to add anything new to his game. Just a hairstyle, just that's to make right to yeah, make him a else. more valuable player uh-huh. to teams, and that's why you see empty points. You see him hogging the ball. You don't see him making teammates better. You know what I mean? Think back to early Derrick Rose. Yeah, early Derrick Rose was not a scoring point guard. Early Derrick Rose was making everyone else better. Mm-hmm. He doesn't do that anymore. And then you add on the fact that he doesn't play defense, he doesn't shoot from three, so every point guard knows they can go under a pick and roll. And it's just he is—he uh, doesn't quite fit into what teams are doing anymore in the league. And you know, I brought Vince Carter last hour. Vince Carter, when he was coming down from the apex of his career, the reason he's still playing in the league. Become because he became a really good effort defender, right? And he developed a three-point shot, so he became a bench guy who could shoot the three and defend. That's valuable. Every team wants that. And from what we've seen on uh, highlights, he can still slam dunk. He can still slam dunk, but like yeah. that—that's why Vince Carter's still in the league. He right. developed this skill. Why did Jason Kidd hang around for so long? He, after not being a good three-point shooter for most of his career, became a great three-point shooter. In fact, one of the best in history. After developing that shot, and that's how he hung around. He played right. good defense. He shot threes, and that's something that Derek never did. So, they have been all guy. <laughs> he will. I don't know, man. He will. What's, uh, I'm what's not the sure risk? If that helps him. What's the risk? What's the risk? I mean, wait, okay, maybe you piss off Jimmy Butler, and then all of a sudden now you have issues uh, in Jimmy, the locker room. I don't think you have issues with it. They know who they are now.
3: Jimmy's a dog. We heard that over the last couple days.
4: He is. And in, the, in, it's the good, his, t- in the good, in the yeah, good term. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's his team, though. So I'm no, not sure. if that vibes. I, yeah. I think um, a part of getting to Minnesota is the fact that all this was left behind. And he, he's there with Thibs. He's there with Taj. The, both guys who give yeah. 100% every single practice, every single day. And the reason I mention practice is because many have reported this season that Derrick Rose was not very interested in practicing. Uh-huh. And like, well, heck, there were times he wasn't interested in being at the game. I mean, there are people who feel bad because he got hurt. I feel bad that he got hurt. I don't feel bad for Derrick Rose because I, it do, It appears that he doesn't take the basketball thing very seriously. Yeah, It appears as if once he got hurt, it was woe is me, and I just can't ever get back to what he was. He didn't really like put down and get the hard work going and try and develop into something else. That's why I don't really... I, don't, I just don't care anymore. And I didn't know you are going to get a 10, 11 uh, a.m. hot take on Derek Rose out of me this morning. But it's just <laughs> like,
3: <laughs> that's, what, that's what we work for. We try yeah. to get those things out. And we'll talk a lot of NBA, 11 o'clock. Cap will join us around 1140. We talked last hour, and Adam brought up the point that I forgot to get to, uh, about the Cubs leadoff situation. That's about all you can worry about right now, the leadoff spot. And that's probably last year it was all the talk. Heck, all year long, and now it is going to be again. It appears because apparently one guy in the organization thinks that Kyle Schwarber can still be a leadoff guy, and that's Joe Madden. Um, and everybody else, I've heard so many people, fans think that put Albert Elmore there, put whoever's in center field as your leadoff guy, and you are still going to have Bryant and Rizzo and everything else. So, is that all the Cubs have to worry about now, the leadoff position? And what are your thoughts on it three one two three three two three seven seven six After the signing of you Darvish yesterday.
5: I think that the only worry about the leadoff position is just worry that Madden thinks it's cute to put Schwarber in there again. He shouldn't be leading off. It got into his head, whether he wants to admit it or not. It was in his head that he was leading off. He wasn't productive as a leadoff hitter. Right. He was better after they took him out. The, just He shouldn't lead off. It should be Al Mora. I think so. Even if he, I mean, Al Mora is a guy
3: that obviously hits lefties real well, and the only way he's going to learn how to hit righties better is if they put him in the lineup more often. Exactly. Yeah. And he's going to be fine in center field. I, you know, I think he's a heck of a center and
5: fielder. he can learn because they're given the luxury that the Cubs have already won the World Series this year. Yeah.
4: yeah. So if we go <laughs> to right. a, if we go to a hypothetical place, you say that did Schwarber struggle last year because he struggled, or did he struggle last year because he was in the leadoff spot?
5: Uh, that that's chicken egg. I think. I think he. I think he's. I well, personally, I think my he point. struggled. If he's batting fourth
4: or fifth, what if he struggles then? Then he's just a terrible ball player. He'll still hit yeah. his 30-35 homers.
5: Right. I think so. I think he, I think that, this is my opinion, I think that he struggled because he was in the leadoff spot. I think he struggled because it got into his head that he was leading off. I think that's what it was. It's, it, it, baseball is a very, it's a mind game. And when you get, when a player gets into his own head, he struggles. And I think Schwarber got into his own head and he struggled as a leadoff hitter. But he just he struggled last year though. He did struggle last and that's year. That's the only
4: sample size is last year him being a leadoff hitter, you don't have a sample size of him batting somewhere else in the but lineup he, where but he's him just...
5: starting as a leadoff hitter lead to those struggles. Okay, but if we before
4: I even do it, if we bring up the stats on where he batted, is it gonna be that dramatically different? From no, leadoff to the other spots in the lineup? Do you prob- get what I'm saying? No, probably
3: not. he was off to a bad start because he was leading off and not hitting well. And no, then at that point, it didn't matter where you moved him because was, it was in his head.
4: Yeah, well, I, I get that. And I, what I'm saying is, like, who said that if he was batting six to start the season, that he wouldn't have started off slow like we he We don't did? know. We don't know. We don't know that. Yeah. We don't know. Um, I I also think that you have to put your best hitters at the top of the lineup. I mean, it's been proven based on sabermetrics, that you should have your best hitters one, two, three, four, right? Yeah. So burying Schwarber, if he's one of your best hitters and he's revamped his body and he's ready to go for this season, he should be up there, right? So who's leading off then? You can't just put some little slapper up there and, and lead off and then say, all right, here comes Chris Bryant second. Is Chris Bryant your leadoff off Well, guy? hey,
5: look, Madden might see new Schwarber. He might see, he'd be like, hey, new Schwarber. Well, he, he's so got who's your leadoff guy? New, new body, Schwarber. And he might be like, hey, new body, Schwarber, let's try this leadoff thing again. And maybe it works, but I don't think he should. I think there's only two options.
3: I think if, if Joe gets his way, it'll be Schwarber. If everybody else gets away, way, it'll be Elmora.
4: I think Elmora is a good solution. Um, I liked what Elmora did last year, and I thought that splitting the time with John Jay, I would have preferred to have more Elmora out there because it seems like every time he got an opportunity... He he succeeded and he played well. So it, I know that he had a small sample size, but play, based on the splits, mm-hmm. but I I would like to see more Almora. I don't know that there's you have much
3: choice of seeing anybody else because the only I have five outfielders for the Cubs: Schwarber, Almora, Hayward, Happens, and Right, yeah, right. There's nobody else. I mean, they don't have John Jay anymore. They're going to go with thirteen pitchers. You would think to start the season. Um they play their first four games. They play, a f- it's weird to play a four game series right out of the box, but they do that with Miami, uh, at the very start of the season. Uh, four games right off the bat to start the season. And they're on the road for the first, like, week and a half before they come home, uh, That's and open the season. It's probably a good thing,
5: given the weather. Well, it's a great thing.
3: I mean, I don't <laughs> understand why, you know, if this has been, uh, something I've argued about for 20 years why you know they say well you you can't have uh you know warm t- you got wa- you've got warm places and domes what do you mean you can't have teams play on the road exactly. and all things? yeah it's not a problem okay
4: so i've got the splits here for Schwarber. so last year he uh, started 36 games where he was uh, batting first in those games That's it? yeah 36 uh, in Seems those 36 like games uh, his slash numbers were 190 312 381 So that's uh, batting first. Batting second, 22 games. His slash numbers were 186, 278, 442. Uh, He batted third uh, three times, so that's too small of a sample size. He batted fifth 29 times. Slash numbers 273, 368, 667. So his best spot better. last year was fifth in yeah. the lineup. So do you put Schwarber fifth, and then you put Al Mora first?
5: I would. Yeah, I would too. Like, I know you're burying your quote-unquote one of your best hitters, but do we know he's going to be one of their best hitters?
1: Yeah, are I mean, sure we don't
5: know. Are we sure he's going to? Like, everyone just assumes he's going to, oh, he lost a bunch of weight and transformed his body. He's going to be an amazing hitter again.
4: Is he? Here is um, Here are his uh, slash numbers off of uh, leading off an inning or leading off the game. Leading off the game, it happened uh, 31 at-bats throughout the season or uh, 36 at-bats played appearances throughout the season. Slash numbers 161, 278, 194. When he let off an inning... It happened uh, 129 times. His batting average was 195, 295, 398. So that's not something you're going to be able to stop. Is leading off an inning, right? Right. You know, like his numbers are bad leading off an inning, no matter if it's at the start of the game
3: or if it's late in the game. Well, who's going to be who's going to bat fourth? Contreras probably, right? So you'll have somebody. You'll have have Almora, Bryant, Rizzo, Contreras, and then uh, Schwarber. I'm fine with that. Yeah. And then you have to throw Hayward in there somewhere.
5: Because Al is a decent enough hitter. You just have to, when Madden, you know, has to put him in there consistently, regardless of who's pitching. I think he needs to get better against right-handed hitting, and the only way you're going to get that is with practice. Yeah. And, you know, the Cubs have this luxury of having, you know, one of the best teams in the National League, so they are afforded that luxury for a little bit of time. So let him. Get the reps in. Let him get at bats against right-handed hitting and see if he can improve against right-handed hitting. And then he can be an everyday starter as your leadoff position. I don't see why that's a problem. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I I, I think that
3: you know, and I understand what Chris is saying. And if you want to jump in three one two three three two three seven seven six about the Cubs' leadoff position, also about you Darvish signing the deal with the North Siders and uh, solidifying their rotation. Now, I understand the Sabre metrics and all the people, all the analytics saying you bet you bet your top guys in those top three or four positions right. in that order. Because you want to get them more at bats. You want your best hitters to get up more often. But we see that if your best hitter can't adjust to batting leadoff, they should have moved it a lot earlier. and They should have had another backup plan. You, you know, nobody probably thought that the loss of Dexter Fowler was going to be as big as it was.
4: Right. And it was huge last year. It was huge. And I. And that's the thing is you're, they took too long to adjust to what was going on? Well, they and had nobody.
3: They really had nobody, unless you were going to throw John Jay or Ben Zobrist or right. you know Al Moore up there to lead off. They had nobody else to do it. Right. And does maybe do you bat lead off with Zobrist? I think if it's not Al Mora, I think it's going to have to be Zobrist. Yeah. Who else is there? Yeah. You're they're not really- going to bat Baez leading off. You're not going to lead off Russell.
4: Oh um, come on! There was a two week uh, little uh, deal with uh, Rizzo. And, yeah,
3: that, and and that worked. Yeah, and that that worked. He had fun with it. Because he went out there, and you know what he did? He didn't have it in his head that he had to worry about waiting for, you know, waiting out the pitcher's pitch, waiting out walks. He swung at first pitches, which is something that, you know, when Schwarber went up there, I think he had in his mind, okay, I'm supposed to, you know, try to take a walk. I'm supposed to give the guy that's up second an idea of what's going on and what this pitcher has today.
4: Oh, yeah, because if you look at the uh, splits for Schwarber on the first pitch, uh, his batting average was 436 On base, uh, 4.36, slugging, 12.31. Yeah. So, you know, when he actually went at the first pitch and then it dropped uh, significantly, his 1-0 counts were high numbers as well, but once it got to 2-0, that's where it started to drop for him. So... You know, it's he has to change his mindset. If he's going to be a lead off, he has to go up there thinking, I'm going to get a hit. Do you do you think, I jump? mean,
3: he's changed his body. He's changed his way, his lifestyle, I think
4: it's called, a lifestyle change. Yeah, and, that's a buzzword. That's a buzzword yeah. of uh, going on a diet is changing your lifestyle. <laughs> lifestyle no, no, because you, you come off a diet. Yeah, yeah.
5: A diet's just a quick, a quick it's, solution. It's the
3: way he eats. And, you know, and they're still gonna um, unless they change the food that they're serving at Wrigley Field before and after <laughs> games. I mean, it's tough. I mean,
4: well, they're they're not eating ballpark food. Yeah, you. they're not going
5: up and standing in line and getting donuts right
4: No, no, no. But
3: I mean, you know, you, you, they have a lot of salads. But even even that, there's going to be guys on that team that are going to say, "Hey, where's the chicken wings? Where's oh yeah. you know
5: They're going to be other stuff as they- well. And then when does it turn? Like if he struggles out of the gate. And it's like a month of struggling Schwarber. When does, does it become the. Again? Oh, will he change? No, no. When does it become. <laughs> oh, okay. will he change his lifestyle? Like, everybody, like, I know we don't talk a lot of Blackhawks, but everybody says, oh, Jonathan Taves is a different uh, player ever since he changed his eating habits and he changed his diet. It's, it's ruined him as a player. When does that happen for Schwarber? Like, does Schwarber get a couple of weeks or does he automatically, is like, oh, well, he can't hit, probably because he's not eating carbs? It's a good question.
3: Um, I mean, he's strong enough to hit the ball out, even you know, with losing a few pounds. Let's be he's, real.
4: Uh, this should help his defense because she he faster. should be able to get the balls that he missed last year. Yeah, hopefully. Well, the question and if that's is, not the case. That's going to be a problem.
3: The question is, how much quicker can he be by dropping a few pounds? You never know. No, I don't. I don't know. That's why. Um, you know, that's why I'm sitting here and not I mean not a scientist in some <laughs> place setting up stuff on Who, who's the guy that does the uh, analytical I, stuff on uh, ESPN? He does he's, he does all the, scientific the stuff. science stuff. Yeah, the sports science. Oh, guy. Uh, uh,
5: Brinkus. Yeah. uh What's his John? name? John Brinkus. Yeah. I feel sports like science. scientifically speaking, as a scientist, you're I would not. say you're not. And as a doctor, <laughs> you're not a doctor. I right. would say that if you have less False. weight to carry, you will be faster. You
4: should be faster. You okay, so how quicker. do you factor in momentum? Huh? Once he gets that thing chugging, how is he, you know, then you got some momentum behind you. You and can some stop weight.
5: yourself quicker because you have less weight to carry that momentum. No, I
4: know, but you could be going, your top speed could be faster if you get all that going in one direction. One direction, like
5: going downhill, maybe.
4: <laughs> I think we all became dumber
5: after that. As the scientist. That's what I'm saying.
4: Thank goodness we're not scientists. Yeah, yeah. this
3: world would be in big, big trouble.
5: <laughs> uh, you heard part of Jesse Rogers uh,
3: at the beginning of this segment talking about signing you Darvish. They had to get, we had to get comments from Jesse because he's been talking about no signings for the last. Three weeks. So here's what Jesse had to say uh, about Darvish signing his deal yesterday with the Cubs. Or at least agreeing to a deal. Still got to take a physical.
1: The signing of you Darvish for the Cubs is a boon to the team when you consider he wasn't really on their radar to start the offseason. But because of this depressed market... All of a sudden, the Cubs start talking to Darvish, and they're able to hammer out a six-year, $126 million deal. Yeah, it's a long time for a pitcher, but when you consider he's, his status in the game, $21 million per year isn't all that bad. The Cubs really lengthen the rotation, and overall, their pitching staff with this move, Darvish slides in as a number two right behind John Lester. Kyle Hendricks is there as a three. Jose Quintana and Tyler Chatwood might be two of the better number four and fives in the league. Cubs are really deep all of a sudden in the rotation. So a real good deal for the Cubs, one that they didn't foresee when the offseason began.
3: That was Jesse, and we'll be talking more Cubs with Kelly Kroll. Bottom of the hour, uh, Chris Kamka from NBC Sports Chicago came up with a bunch of stats yesterday, which, you know, if you're a Cub fan and you were worried about, you know, who's who's the better guy, Darvish or Arrieta, he came up with a bunch of stats that he's wanted to do. Uh, highest career strikeout percentage, minimum of 100 starts. Darvish is number one at 29.7, followed by Chris Sale, Strasburg, and then Randy Johnson. Um the fewest games to a thousand career strikeouts. Kerry Wood's number two. you Darvish is number one. Uh, most starts with ten strikeouts. Uh, Scherzer is one. Then Sale, Kershaw, Kluber. Darvish is fifth. That's right, fifth. Yep. Um, two hundred and fifty plus K's and fewer than one hundred and fifty hits in an inning. Uh, Corey Kluber. In 2017, did it. Scherzer, Jose Fernandez, Udarvish Darvish, fourth with that. 277 Ks, 145 hits. So Udarvish Darvish is coming to the north side. In his um, career versus the American League and National League, 107 games in the AL. Uh, 348 ERA, 665 opponents uh, OPS. Um, the National League has only started 24 games against the NL with a 313 ERA 33.1 strikeout percentage. Now, it it's deceiving because you get to face a pitcher.
4: Right. So what I was going to say is usually when you look at the two difference uh, splits is that the AL numbers are usually a lot higher right. because you have to face the DH. Yeah. The NL numbers are pretty similar, but it's a small sample size. Yeah. So I, how much better will Darvish be in a full season in the NL compared to coming over halfway through after being traded from the Rangers to the Dodgers? Um, usually pitchers, their stats get better, just like how we talked about Chatwood, how his stats would be better at Wrigley Field for a full season opposed to being in Coors Field. So interesting to keep your eyes on because I, I think the one thing to question as well is, are you getting Darvish after his prime, or is he in his prime right now, or did we see his prime previously?
3: I know Cap's tweeting out pictures of him throwing lefties, so hopefully he doesn't have to do that. Uh...
4: Oh, no. <laughs> 68 miles an hour lefty.
3: We Great. come back. Kelly Krull from NBC Sports Chicago <laughs> will give her opinion. She's in Arizona getting ready for the opening of camp on a Wednesday. It's Chris Black, Adam Abdallah, Fred Huebner right here on
0: ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's game day. Only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Number
6: 11 All Star Pitcher you.
3: has a chance to be a monster strikeout game for Darvish. Three up, three down, three more punchouts. outs well, faced 11 men. Three of the hitters that he has faced have put the ball in play. And he is perfect. 3-5. Set his punchout number in 11. Number 12. down number 13. 14 strikeouts. A perfect innings.
0: A game of a life. This is Chicago's game day. On ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com.
8: I don't know how
3: anybody except the Astros can even get a hit off of you, Darvish. Apparently, they just all strike out, which is going to be a good thing for the Cubs and the Cubs fans. Uh, as they get you, Darvish, six years, $126 million. Chris Black, Fred Hubner, and Adam Abdallah here until 12 noon. We've been talking about the you, Darvish signing. We've been trying to help Joe Madden and the Cubs with their leadoff position. And uh, now we go to someone that actually knows what they're talking about. And we go on out to Arizona, Kelly Krell from Uh, NBC Sports Chicago. Kelly, how are you today?
7: Hey guys, I'm doing great. I'm actually already in Arizona, so not to rub it in, but it's (laughs) 60 degrees in sunny at 9 30 in the morning out here so that's not too
3: bad well see that's the way it's supposed to be so that that's a good thing <laughs> exactly. if you if you had if you had you know like 50 and so, uh, some snow flurries then we really be worried that they usually wait for that till <laughs> jesse gets there once jesse gets there the oh, weather I know. exactly he brings it with
7: him yeah
3: yeah <laughs> he's got that dark <laughs> cloud hanging over his head so you know for all this time <laughs> we've been waiting for something to happen for the the you know one shoe to drop this apparently is the shoe. How Were you surprised that the Cubs did finally end up with this with you, Darvish? And did the length of the deal and the money surprise you at all?
7: Yeah, so I, I surprise might not be the right word because I really did think that, you know, when Theo and Jed tell you during the winter meetings that they still have every intention of landing one more starter and a formidable guy, you're like, okay, that's going to happen. It was just the timing of it. I can't believe I'm in Arizona a day or two away from the guys reporting, and this is when it happens, right, while I'm on a plane, of course. So I was, you know, in that regard, I was surprised of the timing. But um the fact that they got you, Darvish, and I thought that this was the guy when I started listening, and we all did, right, to what they were weighing out, he just seemed to be the, the right fit because of the deal that they could make. I mean, six years, 126, like, yeah, the longevity of that is longer than what it should be, but you knew that was going to happen. I think, I mean, this may be what we are calling a – um A bargain in the long run though 21 million dollars a year and i think if there's a championship that comes along with this in the next couple years nobody's gonna care guys what the last four years of this deal looks like right nobody knows how many deals or how many years are left in john lester's contract right now right nobody cares because there was a championship two years ago and i think i think that's how fans will eventually look at this deal um and I, i really like it i I think the tipping pitches thing is something that can be correctable. I love the thought of him working with Jim Hickey. Um, I love the thought of you know Chris Jimenez being on a staff where he knows Jim Hickey. He also knows Hugh Darvish. I think this is a, a really a smart deal, and I think one that will work out really well for the Cubs. So, yeah, I'm excited about it and meeting him here in a few days.
4: Kelly, a couple of uh, topics we were talking about earlier today was one of them is how much... This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at
0: ESPNChicago.com.
1: Nice move.
8: Wow, nice strong move (laughs) by the rookie. (laughs) As he drives, and he goes down hard.
2: Good play by David Nawaba. David Naraba set the table that time for Milwaukee, and he's hurt. You see blood on the side
3: of
0: his head. He jumped up quickly, but he hit the floor hard. See Chicago's game day only on ESPN One Thousand at ESPNChicago.com.
3: Welcome back in, Chris Black, Fred Hubner, Adam Abdallah here on ESPN One Thousand. Until at 12 noon, we've talked a lot of baseball with you Darvish signing six years, 126 million with the Cubs. We've been trying to figure out, uh, who their leadoff guy is going to be because right, really that's the only question going on right now with the North Siders. But I've got Adam and Chris here and they've been chopping at the bit to, uh, oh, talk yeah. NBA. And, uh, so we found one of the best to talk about the NBA. It is Chris Herring from ESPN and 538. Chris, how are you today? Great guys. How are you? We're doing real well. We're in the midst of the, uh, the tank here in Chicago. uh, And, you know, with the Chicago Bulls, I thought it was a great tank weekend. I didn't get the opinion of Chris or Adam, but uh you know you win a big game against Tibbs and Butler and all those guys and then you then you rest the Zach Levine and you lose to Washington and you go one and one. So that I thought that was a perfect tank weekend. You get to satisfy the uh, fans that want to see you win and then the fans that want tanks, you get that too. Uh your thoughts on what the Bulls are doing and how they're going about doing it right now.
2: I mean they're they're still playing well, to be honest with you. I mean the the thing is you're not gonna win a lot of games when you're trying to tank. they if anything they were winning at the beginning of this process obviously they the 10 game losing streak and then immediately turning that into a seven game winning streak which is something like we'd really never seen historically it never happened before not just for the Bulls but for any team and I think really what started to slow them down after a while and has continued to slow them down is just not having Chris done Um, you know Jaron Grant had a nice game uh, a night or two ago but he—he's not sure of him the same ball handler that Chris done and He's not as decisive, and so really they—they've they've kind of hit a really bad lull ever since he went down with that really scary dunk, and then obviously kind of falling off the rim and, and falling to the floor and hitting his mouth and, and the concussion that he got. So he's still recovering from that. But that's the major difference. Obviously, Miretic is a big difference as well, and they were probably playing a little bit above their heads during that win streak, but. You have to be happy with the fact that they manage to win every once in a while and that they're mostly losing. That's what a team that's rebuilding that still needs a bona fide star, another bona fide star, that's kind of what you want. Because uh, this team, although it's been really nice, the young guys progress, you know it wouldn't be enough to necessarily win a title someday. And so they need a
4: little bit more. Chris, when you look back uh, throughout the season and what we've seen from uh, Fred Hoiberg the last couple of years, how do you rate the way he's coached this team this season?
2: I think he's done well. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've publicly said on, on Twitter that um, he deserves a lot of credit. And I think that I was tough on him. I think most people were tough on him. Uh, but you really look at it, and even while I thought he had done a poor job the last couple of years, I was quick to acknowledge that I thought that the front office did him literally no favors, bringing him in, first of all, on the heels of a very successful coach, love Tibbs or hate him, um, but they brought him in to coach a very veteran team that was kind of still it, at worst, maybe a team that should make it to the conference finals, at least, you know, if they were healthy and brought him into a situation where this was a win now team and brought in a coach that didn't really seemingly know how to deal with players that are that hungry and that thirsty to win. Um, literally the first few weeks of the job. Um, bringing Joakim Noah off the bench and then saying that it was Noah's idea, and then Noah immediately turning around in the media and saying, No, it wasn't. Um, the but Jimmy Butler flare up in New York where he basically said we need to be coached harder, which felt like obviously a direct shot at Fred and kind of in, in huge contrast to the way that Thibodeau had coached them. And so there were a lot of things there that he just didn't handle well. But in hindsight, and, and like I said before this, you, you also realized that Fred Hoiberg was kind of promised. A team that would become younger and become more athletic and the Bulls said that and then went out the next year and got Dwayne Wade and Rajon Rondo which are not you know players I think of as athletic at this point in their career so once they kind of rid the roster of those guys and started over I think he's done a pretty good job um, you know I, I think no matter what this team was probably going to keep him as coach this season uh, because the wins weren't really the most important thing but the fact that they've shown progression and the fact that you guys have looked really good, the fact that Chris Dunn has looked really good at not having someone directly over his shoulder every play, like Thibodeau was last year, has really helped. And I think he deserves a lot of credit for that.
5: Zach Levine hitting open threes and dunking on one of the worst defensive teams in basketball is cool. But what is his ceiling once he's back from this full rehab and the rust is off? What's his ceiling as a player in the NBA? I,
2: I mean, I think we're still figuring that out. Um, you watch him enough. In Minnesota, and you realize that he he could score. I mean, nobody had that question. He was averaging 20 points a game there in Minnesota as well. Obviously could dunk on people. He'd started to really knock down the three consistently. And I mean, especially now in hindsight, you have a lot of people in Minnesota wondering if the Timberwolves gave up the right player in the deal. There are a lot of people that would tell you that Levine might have actually been a better fit than someone like Andrew Wiggins uh, who has really had a rough year now uh, with Minnesota trying to adjust to playing with Jimmy Butler. So, I mean, Levine is a good player. I, I think he potentially could be the best, second-best player on your team, but I don't think that you'd win a championship that way. He's got a really long way to go defensively. He, he showed really nice potential uh, going head-to-head with Jimmy Butler the other day, but he just kind of looks lost a lot of the time and loses track of where he is off the ball. Um, and, and so you want to see a, a more well-rounded player, be your best player. And um, I think he's still working into that. The sort of the he becomes, I think, will better determine whether or not this is someone that can consistently become an all-star. You think of people like Victor Oladipo. Um, he doesn't really have those sorts of holes in his game. And I kind of feel like Zach Levine has the sort of scoring potential and ability that Oladipo has shown this year. Um, but I, I think that Oladipo is just a better defender. And so I think he's still working toward that. Um, he's got the physical tools to do it. Anyone that's that athletic on the offensive side, you, you know, can do a little bit more on defense. And so it's just about seeing that more consistently. And whether Fred Hoiberg is in a staff for kind of the people to do that, given that I think most people kind of look at what they do, and it's more about the offense for the Bulls and the offense that they provide. But can they bring that out of him on the defensive side, um, especially since last year it didn't really seem like Levine had made a whole lot of strides defensively on him.
4: You know, one more question about the Bulls before we get to the rest of the league. But, Chris, when you look at the Bulls and where they are, um, you know, towards the end of the season, we assume they're going to lose a lot of games. Hopefully they'll be drafting in the top five. But right now they're in the top eight. How do you think the Bulls will approach free agency this summer? They're going to be one of the few teams with a lot of money, but it's highly unlikely that a big top number one free agent is going to sign with Chicago. So how should they approach free agency this offseason?
2: Yeah, I don't I don't. No, necessarily that that should be the goal right now or the hope. I mean, I, I would think that you're kind of getting patchwork guys a little bit more, and guys that can teach these these young players how to be professionals and how to kind of you know guys that augment what. they I don't know that you'd want to bring in uh, a star superstar level talent right now. Um, these guys are pretty young. I mean, you're, you're talking about building around guys that are all what 24, maybe 25 and younger for the most part. Um, and so I don't, I don't even know who you'd be targeting. You you don't want to take too many shots away from these guys by going to go get uh, a top level free agent either. And so maybe there's someone out there that I'm just not thinking of, uh, who, but you know, guys at that age generally aren't becoming free agents. So if if you're finding someone that's on the same timeline as them, I think the likelihood of you finding a star is is lower anyway. And so they, they should be trying to, to basically. Trying to stay the course, I think, and making sure that they're not really clogging anyone's opportunity to, to grow and progress as a player. So I don't, I don't think this. They're going to have a ton of money, and so I mean, maybe you you kind of splash a little bit more on a bench score or someone like that. But I don't, I don't even see that as being the case. I think they're probably still more likely a full year, year and a half away from really having that problem. I think it's more about who they draft and making sure you've got enough shots for him and everybody else that's already on the team.
3: Chris Herring of ESPN and 5:38 joining us, talking some NBA here on ESPN 1000. Fred Huebner along with Chris Black and Adam Abdallah. Uh, the trade deadline came and went uh, earlier in the week, and it was funny because there were some people at ESPN who were who didn't think there was going to be anything happening. And I can I can call out a Michael Wilbon, can I? Uh, Go for it. You just did. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the, the very next day, Tony Kornheiser jumped all over him because it was a very very busy day on the NBA trade deadline, especially for the Cavaliers getting rid of. Six guys bringing four guys in. What do you think that's done for their team the rest of the season and in the postseason?
2: I mean, I, I still think it's pretty fair to say that we don't know. I, it, it definitely, in some ways, kind of improves them on paper uh, because you we'd seen enough from Derrick Rose, we'd seen enough from Lamont Um You know, we'd seen enough from even Jay Crowder. Just guys that weren't playing well, and I think more importantly, that weren't gelling well that uh, you know, with Rose, the questions of whether he's going to retire, the report about Jay Crowder and LeBron uh, getting into it at one point Amon uh, Shumpert was not totally healthy and he hasn't been for years at this point and I mean the, the really obvious one in Isaiah Thomas who not only was he still getting back to the right physical form but also kind of sniping uh, you know intentionally or not at the coaches uh, making pretty pointed comments uh, whether publicly or privately, about teammates and effort levels and stuff like that when he wasn't playing very well himself, especially on the defensive end where he's never been that strong. And so getting him out and, and bringing in some fresh blood, um, younger guys and Clarkson and Nance and, and Rodney Hood, and even the oldest player that they brought in, George Hill, someone that is much, much better defensively than either Rose or Isaiah Thomas. And, and really all those guys, with the exception of Nance, to some extent, can shoot. And so that that's The big difference is that you you think about bringing in guys like Wade and Derrick Rose, and you know to some extent for right now Isaiah Thomas. These were all guys that were either struggling to shoot or could not really shoot from certain distances, which LeBron needs to kind of clear the paint for him. These guys can do that. Um, I think they're the fact that they're younger and that they're more athletic gives them a better opportunity to be able to defend on a team scale and individually. And so they they should be better. But the chemistry part still has to be figured out. You figure that will be better too. Just because you don't assume they're going to be at LeBron and everyone else's head uh, to begin with, the way that everybody seemed to be you know, a couple of weeks ago, but it, it's uh, it's never. We've only seen it happen once in the last thirty years, where a whole roster, half a roster, turned over at the trade deadline, and that was in two thousand eight with the same team with the Cavs with LeBron, and that, that didn't end up panning out in a championship, obviously. And so maybe it, it helps them come out of the East a little bit better because uh, I think Boston and Toronto were looking really good with the trajectory that Cleveland was on. But I don't think it really changes the the grand scheme of things. I think the Warriors are still far and away the favorites along with maybe Houston. uh, And I'm not sure that Cleveland has enough defenders yet to really contend with either one of those teams.
4: Yeah, Chris, and I think the thing that's kind of important to point out is even though you've upgraded your team this season from what it was in, in the Cavs, but you're still not better than what you were when you had Kyrie on the roster. So, like, no. when you when you look at the Cavs going up against Houston, Golden State, even San Antonio, you know, the teams out west and even Boston and Toronto, I, I know that they're upgraded from the trade deadline from what they were before the deadline, but are they upgraded from what they were last year when they got run out of the gym during the finals to the Warriors?
2: I mean, probably not. I, I think, first of all, it's, it's really, it's hard and sometimes nearly impossible to get equal value for a star player. I mean, an irony, like we said before, is that Kyrie and Isaiah Thomas were essentially traded for each other. Um, you know, and if anything, Cleveland got more out of the deal than Boston did uh, from a standpoint of a star for a star, but then also some additional things thrown in, especially the, the number one pick, but also Jay Crowder. But Isaiah Thomas, as we're seeing now, he was damaged good uh, when they got him. And I think they, they did know that to some extent, because they not only got a first-rounder, they not only got Jay Crowder, but they also got a second-rounder, I want to say, after Cleveland asked for more when they brought IT in for the physical. So you, you can't really get equivalent uh, goods for someone like Kyrie Irving, who's that young, who uh, you know has already hit a game-winning shot in the NBA Finals. Um, and, and I think they learned that the hard way, especially with Isaiah being hurt. But what I will say is that their defense probably has improved now, at least through that deal. If if this was just a straight up trade where you were getting the guys that you got and the number one pick, um, you know, the guys from the Lakers and what have you, Rodney Hood and George Hill, I mean, it it probably makes you a little bit better defensively than what you were last year in the finals. Now, that assumes that Tristan Thompson gets to a point where he's defending better than he was last year. That assumes that Kevin Love won't be a huge net negative on defense. I think it's possible, but last year they didn't really play any defense. Like you said, I think they gave up at least 113 or 114 points in every game of the finals last year. They had the one game that they managed to win anyway because they just went supernova. But you can't – that's why I like the Rockets a lot more. And even Oklahoma City – Uh, before the Andre Robertson injury against Golden State because I don't think you can win a track meet with Golden State where you're not playing much defense. They can always outscore you. The question is, can you stop them? And Cleveland didn't have the discipline to do that last year. I'm still not positive that they have it now, but I think they at least gave themselves a little bit of a better chance. I don't think they're going to have a better team than they had last year. You lose Kyrie Irving. That's why LeBron didn't want him traded is because it's really hard to get equal value for somebody like that.
5: The odd man out in this is Isaiah Thomas. How do you see him fitting in in the league moving forward? I don't know.
2: I mean, he, he <laughs> played last night. I think what we're always going to see from the guy, he, he once he gets everything back, I'm hoping he gets everything back. It's a rough year for him, the fact that he's uh, going to be a free agent and now may not have a full, full opportunity to really showcase his talent or how much he's gotten back to his old self. But even if he scores, like last night, he, he had a pretty good scoring night similar to the first game he had with Cleveland, um, he's never going to be able to defend anybody. And so, I mean, you have to have a very, very specifically designed team, a team that's already really strong on defense, basically the Boston team that he had, and a team that you know doesn't really have any other guys that hoard shots. And um, so the Boston situation might have been the most perfect one for him specifically. I think Boston was smart enough to realize that, Look, we probably need somebody bigger than this to build the team around. You remember that Cleveland series last year where Boston went down 2 to nothing. Isaiah got hurt, and then Boston actually was very, very competitive in the next two games and almost tied the series up. That's the problem here, is that um, you can upgrade on someone like Isaiah Thomas, but in Isaiah's situation, I don't think he could find an upgrade in terms of a better team for him than Boston. And so it's going to be tough. I don't know that he fits the Lakers very well unless he comes off the bench. And even then, their defense takes a big uh, toll when when he comes in. So, I don't I don't think he's going to get a max deal next year. I mean, I think that's becoming clearer and clearer. But that's deal for him; he's been through a lot on a personal level. I do think that in a, you know in another generation, he could have been a max level player. Maybe he could take a team to a title. But I think today's league is just too different, and the guys are too much bigger than him to really um, allow him to do that.
4: If we look at the Houston Rockets right now, they're only a game back of the Golden State Warriors for the best record in the NBA. They've won seven in a row. They probably have the leading candidate for the MVP in James Harden. Um, outside of just saying Chris Paul was added to the team, what have you seen from the Rockets this year that makes them so special?
2: Oh, I mean, the big part of it is that their defense is is something to talk about now, uh, and not in a bad way. Obviously, in a very good way. Right. Um, this is a team that added PJ Tucker, that added Bukumba Mute, um, and you know already had Trevor Ariza, and and so really their Clint Capella has kind of gone to another level, and, and I think mainly that um, their record so far I think is either twenty five or twenty six and one when James Harden, Chris Paul, and Clint Capella all play together. And, that, I mean, that's crazy, first of all. I mean, we haven't seen the team be totally healthy, but the fact that you've basically gone undefeated and almost won that, that game against New Orleans as well. Um, but the fact that they're 10th in the league in defense, I mean, you give yourself a chance. Basically, with the exception of a handful of teams the last 30 or 40 years, you've had to be in the top 10 in both offense and defense to really have a good shot to win an NBA title. Uh, if you are a super elite team on one side of the ball and not necessarily the other, you have a chance. But more often than not, you have to be in the top ten on both sides. That's another reason why Cleveland doesn't really seem to be a great, great contender this year. Um, they, they're in the top ten, finally. Uh, they can hold their own enough on the defensive end of the floor when they're playing against a team like Golden State to make Golden State sweat. Um, they can, they're, they're capable now. Of winning one of those track meets or those shootouts with Golden State. I think the first game of the season, they won 122 to 121 or something like that against Golden State. Um, but they've also had moments where they, you know, they can match up with them well. They're not flustered because they make it tough on Golden State to score. And so the defense was the big, big thing to change. I mean, I wrote about their offense a few weeks ago. That's obviously insane as well. Um, the fact that really you've got Eric Gordon and Ryan Anderson, the fact that you've got two point guards now that can both be out on the floor together, that are both comfortable knocking down a shot from 25 feet away. Um, Basically, the story I wrote pointed out that they take their threes from so much farther away than any other team. They've taken something like 90 or 100 more threes from 28 feet and out than any other team. And what that does, one, it forces defenses to come out further to guard you, or if you leave someone totally alone at 30 feet, they can still knock down that shot as an open shot for them. But if you do come out all the way to guard them at 30 feet on the wing, then you're basically um, giving James Harden or Chris Paul a clear lane to a one on one because you can't come in and help and try to swipe at the ball when those guys drive to the basket. And that's the reason that Chris Paul and James Harden are one and two in the league in terms of how much they score out of ISOs and how efficient they are when they go to the ISO. So they just, they, they have so many options. Everybody can shoot. Um, they shoot almost 45 threes a game uh it's just kind of a pick your poison sort of offense and they now have a defense to go with it so it's a very scary team.
4: Yeah, the shot charts on that are pretty awesome to look at because if you if you hear it they shoot from farther than anyone else and then you actually go and look at it where the spots it's are insane. on the floor. It, it's crazy to see how far the the rockets set up Farther than everyone else to shoot long threes and they're really changing the way the game's being played. Um 2.30 today on ABC and the ESPN app. Also you can hear the game on ESPN 1000. The Cavs and the Celtics. The Celtics are retiring Paul Pierce's number today. Uh, how would you describe Paul Pierce's career when you look back and reflect on it? You
2: know, I, I think he... And maybe this is the way Isaiah would have gone down. That's the irony with the fact that just a couple weeks ago we were talking about the, the Paul Pierce jersey retirement. He obviously kind of acknowledged, you know, maybe it's petty, but I don't want Isaiah Thomas to be recognized on the same day that I'm getting my jersey retired. I mean, he was kind of a perfect fit with that team. Uh, you know, his career was on a potentially much different trajectory as far as being remembered as one of the all-time greats. But they went out and made the trade for the other members of the Big Three, obviously in Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett. Uh, he was always a really, really good player. I mean, kind of that Tracy McGrady-style game where um, he's not overly quick uh, but manages to score anyway. Um, a pretty big guy to be able to defend other players, you know, LeBron being one of his contemporaries. Um, and, and so, I mean, he was just a, a really, really great player, solid player. Um, I don't think we'll go down as one of the all-time, all-time greats when you talk about you know top 20, top 30 players, clearly. But um, you know, just a steady force there, and in Boston, was there through a rebuild, and then managed to you know kind of reap the benefits and, and be a, a key contributor um, once they reloaded and, and made that team what it was with the big three. Um, I think probably stayed there a little too long, um, and then you know kind of struggled to make it work with any of the teams with after that with Brooklyn and then the Clippers. But uh, but definitely had a great career there in Boston and deserves to be recognized.
5: Chris, you're here in Chicago. We talked to him about, about him a little bit earlier in the show. One of the biggest what ifs in the city is Derrick Rose. Uh, he was waived by the Jazz. There's rumors of him with the Wizards and with the Timberwolves. What do you think he's going to do moving forward? And will he get signed by a team this year?
2: I'll tell you what. I mean, what a rough career he's had. You know, I know I, I covered him in New York very briefly. I covered his. His civil case, the, the rape trial um, that he had out in Los Angeles. And so I, I kind of know that the opinions on him run the gamut between people that just feel awful for him, people that feel no sympathy for him whatsoever. Um, the retirement reports that have kind of come out have uh, been contemplating that. Uh, really, it sounds like twice over the last two years now. I, I, at this point, I mean, I think he, he clearly, and, and I, mean, I don't even think this is debatable, he's clearly not the same player. He won't ever be again. That's become exceedingly clear. Um, what is interesting at this point is, you know, how many teams are willing to kind of take the bait on the fact that they think he can even be, um, you know, a rough estimate of what he was in the past. Because I don't even think he's that at this point. And really, I, I can guarantee you this. And maybe, you know, that when you're on Twitter and you're on social media, it's always a little bit louder. And you're always kind of hitting a more direct audience of young people. Um, a lot of Minnesota fans don't want him at this point because he would be stepping into a backup role one, they already have Jamal Crawford to kind of run the point in some sense uh, for backup point guard. But two, I mean, their main backup point guard at this point is Tyus Jones, who when he stepped in played very, very well for Jeff Teague, who is kind of the polar opposite of Derrick Rose in the sense that he's not super athletic, he's obviously a lot smaller, um, but also analytically is is kind of like a goldmine in terms of what they get out of him on the court whereas Derrick Rose is a net negative and has been a net negative going back to you know the first couple of years after his ACL tear. And so Tyus Jones defends very well. Derrick Rose does not. Tyus Jones shoots very well. Derrick Rose does not. And you know at this point, Derrick Rose isn't the finisher that he was at the basket before. He doesn't draw the same number of free throws that he did before. And when you take those two things away from him and also remember that he's still not that good a shooter and he's not anybody's idea of a good defender – um, you start to see kind of how someone pulled the rug out from under him, and he's just not the same player. And so if he goes to Minnesota, which would make sense on the one hand because of the tie to Tom Thibodeau and all the other ex-Bowls that are there, um, I, I guess theoretically it would make sense, but I, I don't think that he's a better fit there than Tyus Jones at this point. And I, I kind of feel like you know the Wizards don't seem to make a ton of sense to me either, um, especially they've been winning with, with John Wall out. But I... You know, I, I think his reputation is still there, and I'm, I'm a little surprised that teams are continuing to gamble on that, given that he has kind of looked as if he thought about backing out of the league entirely the last couple months. But uh, you know, when you win an MVP at that age and you're still only 28 or 29 years old, teams are going to roll the dice. It's a low cost gamble because he's not a max player; he's a minimum player. But I'm still surprised that teams are so willing to go out and get him, and even if they've got a backup in place, that they're willing to go out and take a look at him.
3: Chris, we really appreciate you jumping out with us today. Uh, we'll, we'll hit you up again soon as maybe a little bit we get closer to the playoffs, and we'll talk a little bit more. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much. That was Chris Herring, ESPN, and uh, five thirty eight. Lots of good information about the Bulls. I got a question for you guys about the Bulls, and also sure. something that a uh, consultant for the LA Clippers said the other day. And also, I wanted to see how many guesses it would take for you to come up with is a that player. Con-
4: is that consultant a uh, Hall of Famer and possibly the logo of the league as yes, well? Okay, that would be him. I think he's uh, more than just a consultant. All right, all right. Uh, just a consultant. Okay,
3: no, but I thought that's what his title was title. It is no, it no, is. it is. Oh, it is. is. It We're is, being sarcastic. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah.
4: Okay, blank,
1: blank for being <laughs> yeah. bad. Yeah. I got yeah. you. Yeah.
3: I got you. Okay. And also I'm going to give you two numbers and then see how long it would have taken you and how many players you would have to give me before you hit on a guy that had these stats the other night. Uh, Fred Huebner along with Chris Black, Adam Abdallah. We're going to also check in with Cap in just a little bit. He will talk about you, Darvish. We'll just sit back, relax and strap it down as oh, he, yeah. he yeah. breaks yeah, it down, down. A... Yeah. <laughs> when we, when he joins us right here on ESPN 1000.
0: Stream the Waddle and Sylvie show on your phone through the ESPN app. Catch us live or catch up with the podcast. It's the ESPN app. Get it now. This is Chicago's game day. Only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com.
3: Welcome back in. Chris Black, Adam Dollar, Fred Huebner, Okay, if I gave you guys numbers yeah. the other day, and you may know these because you're NBA savants, um, but in the Bulls game the other day, there was a player who had 11 assists and no turnovers.
4: Okay. Was it know- Denzel was it- Valentine? No. Okay, that would never happen. So, yeah, that was well, a bad the other guess. Well, what?
3: You wouldn't think would ever happen either.
4: Let's see. Uh, assists 11 assists, no game. turnovers. Uh, Jerry Grant. Uh huh. How many dribbles per assist? He played 37
3: minutes. And he had no turnovers. It's that surprising. has to be, I mean, uh, 11 assists and no turnovers, that might be a bulls record for a number of assists without turning the ball really? over. You think so?
6: Yeah. Uh, hey, uh, it probably it's close. close, right? I mean, yeah.
3: It can't be too far off. I mean, you That's know, a good point. usually yeah. if a guy has 15 or 20 assists, he's going to turn the ball over once or twice. Mm-hmm. There were no turnovers for a guy like Jaron Grant. The other one is, this is the thing, and I think I hit you on this, with this the other day on Friday night, but want to get a dollar's opinion too and eat both of you. Jerry West, the Clippers consultant, the man who is the logo for the NBA, but you think that's ever going to change? I Will hope it not. always stay. Jerry it's a West. great logo, don't yeah. you think? Yeah, it's a good logo. I wonder I, how I they came up with it. Really, I didn't. I never done any homework on it. But. I've looked this
4: up before. I can find it out as we talk. Um, I know a lot of people have suggested that maybe it should change to Michael, the but Jump Man, the Nike or, one, or the yeah, the Jump, or man like one. LeBron, but like. It's Does the LeBron logo for a, a reason.
3: But would LeBron have a set? I mean, is there one thing you could think of that an image that you would put? For yeah, LeBron's... it would be
4: his uh, chase from behind block on Iguodala. Okay, <laughs> slapping the ball against the. But the it would window. only be him. Yeah, so... so it would be him in the air. You know, I I don't know. <laughs> like he's
3: high fiving somebody.
5: Yeah, I, I think the I logo should if, be left alone. Wonder if the Jordan logo, because it's so profitable, this would never happen. If the Jordan logo would ever become the NBA logo. But because the Jordan brand is so profitable, they yeah. would never. He would never say no. I'm done with that logo. No, I don't think he would. Yeah.
4: Yeah.
5: Um,
3: another thing. So what? What Jerry West said was the other hey, day. Uh,
4: before I, uh, before we get to that, the I know what the answer is. So the guy who was designing the logo was flipping through Sport Magazine. Do you remember Sport yeah. Magazine? Mm-hmm. And as he was flipping through, he was trying to get. Um, inspiration, and he came across a photo of Jerry West. Yeah, I can see that now. I and can that, see that photo, right he just said that that's the perfect, that's what basketball right. looks like. So that's what the logo Jerry became. Jerry West,
3: in one of the NBA finals games, Jerry West hit like a half-court shot at the end of the game. Yeah. And uh, he, it was fun watching them back in the day because you had Gale Goodrich and Wilt and I remember Happy I was there. And, yeah, it was yeah, great. Your dad might have been yeah. there, but yeah, I don't think you were there. But what Jerry West said the other day was, "Listen, what's popular isn't always right, and what's right isn't always popular." Now, I, I'm I'm sure everybody in the audience probably said oh, I don't know, and tried to figure out what he meant. But what he meant makes sense in all sports. I mean, what, what what's popular right now doesn't necessarily mean it's right. And, um, you know, you hear a lot of teams will do stuff or make decisions and things like this. And, you know, he's, he's talking with a bunch of Clipper fans and they're trying to figure out what's going on with their team and everything else. And you move a guy like, you know, Blake Griffin. And I I, I saw a report from Yahoo that the Cavs had a whole, a deal all set up for... DeAndre Jordan. Yes. For Jordan. And, uh... The other deal got done before that.
5: Yeah, well, now you, you you figure the Clippers were going to look now and to see what they can get with for Jordan in the offseason. But if you trade blank, like you're basically like there's nothing left right. besides DeAndre Jordan. So you if they didn't find that they had the best deal in place for him, then they'll wait and see what they can get for him in the offseason.
3: So when Jerry West says this, is he saying that what's popular isn't always right? Does he Is he talking tanking? Is he talking... Trading. I mean, I'm trying to figure out exactly where he was going because Rachel Nichols had it on the other day on the jump, and she was actually moder or um, you know, emceeing this little thing with
4: yeah. So, so the the other part of that is what's right isn't always popular, right? right? So, if you're a fan of the Clippers, you live in LA, and you look at your team, I mean, the last couple of years you had a team that was trying to win championships, you weren't successful at it, and then you pull everything away you you get. Chris Paul leaves, Blake Griffin leaves. The two faces of the franchise are gone. I would assume what they've done isn't very popular there, Um, but they may be in a better position going forward because they're playing well this year. They're actually one of the surprise teams in the league. Um, I know they're not staying in the playoffs right now, but they're only a half game back of the eighth spot in the West playoffs. And there's a good chance that they can get in because new Orleans isn't playing great right now either. So, I, maybe it's, maybe he's saying like what we've done this year may not be popular because the two best players have now been shipped off, but we've signed a bunch of two way contracts and a bunch of guys who give good effort and like that's what's working right
5: now as we regroup. Um, they're also positioning themselves for. LeBron.
4: Yeah, I mean, you're also moving a lot of money off the books, right? You, do you, so think like, they, you think
3: they believe that LeBron would go to L.A. but to the Clippers instead of the Lakers? I
5: think that every NBA GM believes that they have that. With money, has a belief that they have a shot at, at LeBron. The Whether same they, way
4: baseball guys feel about yes. Bryce Harper. Yes. Okay. Well, okay, so here's the difference, though. But
3: isn't LeBron, real quick, isn't LeBron capped on what he can make wherever he goes? Well, yeah, yeah. He's only yeah, made a certain yeah, amount, Right, right. right. Yeah. So he knows wherever he goes, he's going to make that amount of money.
4: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's correct. And you know, 2019, 2020, the Clippers are kind of in the same boat as the Bulls where they have like nothing on the books. Right now they have, uh, Gan- uh, Danilo on the books for, uh, 22 six, which is a lot. But if you compare that to the Bulls, they're going to have Levine on the books for almost a max contract too. Right. So like I get that everyone keeps telling everyone else that the Bulls have all this money. You're going to spend a good, chunk of that on uh, Levine, Levine right. to extend him this off season. So, um the Clippers here like here's the thing. Do you trust the ownership? Right? Because you ask the question, if he goes to LA, why would he go to the Clippers? The ownership group in LA for the Clippers, Steve Ballmer, he wants to win. Right. He wants to win bad. He doesn't like that Golden State is so good, he doesn't like that Houston now with a new owner who's a billionaire hotshot as well. Now they're winning. Like Steve Ballmer wants to win badly. So spending money in the future, I don't think is going to be a problem for the Clippers. Now, whether or not they spend it on the right guys. So that's, I think the Clippers are in just as good of a position as the Lakers To try and get big name free agents to come play for them because it's all about the ownership. If the ownership's willing to take care of the players, what does it matter if it's a franchise for the last 40 years that's been terrible? Yeah. You know, like, I don't think, do you think really players are comparing the history of teams when they sit down and make their decisions? I don't think that takes place. I think
5: LeBron is in a place where he can.
4: Because, okay, but, he's but LeBron's about, gonna go wherever he wants to go yeah. just because he has that control. No, but
5: ultimately, no, you're in LA. You, it's the same arena. It's the same it, arena. It, right. it doesn't matter for other players. But I think when specifically talking about LeBron and legacy, that's what he's, he's focused on that. Does, do his last years uh, with possibility for a championship want to be in a Clippers jersey or a Lakers jersey?
4: Uh, whichever team's closer to win championships, that's the answer.
3: Yeah, well, we'll see. It's going to be an interesting couple of years in the NBA, and see what happens with LeBron. We come back. We've been talking about you, Darvish. We'll get the thoughts of uh, David Kaplan. I got an idea. He's going to like what uh, Theo did. Oh We'll talk about that and much more after this on ESPN One Thousand.
0: This is Chicago's game day on ESPN One Thousand at ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in,
3: Fred Hubner along with Chris Black, Adam Abdallah. We've been talking a lot about the Chicago Cubs, and why not? We've been waiting for weeks, heck, it seems like months. We've been waiting for the Cubs to get another starter to round out their rotation, and they did. Six years, one hundred twenty-six million. You Darvish, and besides Jesse Rogers, one of the happiest guys is our next guest. You hear him uh, Monday through Friday from nine till noon. It is David Kaplan. Hey Cap. Good morning, boys. How we doing? Yeah, thanks for bouncing his step this morning, doesn't he?
5: God. <laughs> Hi, Cap.
3: So, Cap did, you, did you bowl well What's up, today? Boys? How did, we doing? Did you bowl better today because you knew that, that Darvish was uh, was locked up for the Cubs? You I, had a five man rotation. Was Everything a, was great.
8: Up and down bowler today. First game. Haven't bowled in three weeks. I've been do- gone doing basketball. First game. I struck the first eight. And I'm thinking, can we get there finally and get a 300? And then I split in the ninth and then finished with a spare strike, 256. And the next two games were awful.
5: I'm honestly surprised you didn't intentionally bowl 126.
8: (laughs) Actually, I think the last game I might have bowled a 126.
5: (laughs) Of course you did
3: solid good <laughs> so so what were your Pretty thoughts funny. what were your thoughts when you first heard it yesterday uh that the cubs actually finally made the decision Darvish agreed they got the 6 years 126 what was your first thoughts when you heard it
8: uh you know when you hear 6 years the first thing you think of you go ooh 6 years that's a lot of years but then you realize the average annual value Darvish was looking for 30 million a year and they got him at 21 And then you think, well, I guess I could accept, you know, everybody's got to give a little in a negotiation. And so here you get him for six years, but he hasn't opt out after two. So maybe he pitches great for two years and he opts out and the Cubs say, you know what, we've got a couple prospects that are now ready to pitch and we're moving on. All you have to worry about is that for the next two years, your window to win a World Series is wide open. You get this really good young position core, and now you've got all your pitching locked up. So you know for the next two years at least, everybody's back.
4: Cap, heading into the season, now that you have Darvish instead of Arietta how much better is this Cubs rotation?
8: I think it's markedly better than a year ago. Uh, I think Chatwood's an upgrade over John Lackey, for sure. And I think Darvish is an upgrade over Jake Arietta So, you know, again, this can all change when somebody grabs their elbow or their shoulder and goes, uh-oh, God forbid. But if everybody's healthy... They have upgraded their pitching rotation. Uh, They don't have an ace-closer, but maybe Brandon Morrow is an ace-closer in waiting. So we'll find out. Uh, This is also a team not with the World Series hangover now that should be coming back hungry to say, yeah, we weren't real happy with 2017. Yes, we got to the NLCS, but it was a slog the entire year. Maybe, just maybe, now it's time to take the next step.
5: Are you worried, though, that they spent for Lester, they spent for Darvish, they spent for Hayward, they've got Rizzo, they've got Bryant, they've got Schwarber, they've got Russell. Are you worried that ownership is going to go, you know what? We're good. We went to a World Series this year. We won a World Series. Whatever they end up doing this year, we don't need Bryce Harper.
8: Uh, well, I'm not saying that Bryce Harper is the be all end all. I mean, because if they don't get Bryce Harper, it doesn't mean ownership wasn't ready to spend. Uh, You know, maybe they go get Manny Machado. Maybe Aramis Adamen, who's one of their top prospects, all of a sudden is ready to play. Whoa, that guy's a stud. You know, Bryce Harper's a really good player, but I I challenge anyone to go look at his numbers for his career. He's only had one season in his career where he's hit more than 29 home runs. No, this is not Alex Rodriguez in his prime. This is not a Hall of Fame-bound player right now based on the numbers. He's a really good baseball player. And maybe he'll have a monster year this year going into free agency. But would I like to see him in a Cubs outfield? Sure, who wouldn't? He's a really good player. But, you know, $300-plus plus million for the numbers he's put up, I, I'm not all in yet. i got to see more.
3: Cap joining us here on ESPN 1000. He'll be back tomorrow to break everything down all day long from 9 until noon. He'll probably talk tanking and the Cubs, the the Bulls weekend. Uh, The only thing we have to worry about now, or Cubs fans have to worry about now, I almost included myself, um, is who's going to lead off. And, you know, is it going to be a month and a half of talk about who's going to lead off? Because, really, Cap, what other questions do you have about this team going in besides injuries? You can't, you can't worry about injuries until they happen. But what other questions does this team have now that they have the rotation set?
8: Uh, I think that there's still a question mark at closer. You know, I think you look at the closer spot and go, okay, that kid Brandon Morrow, that guy Brandon Morrow pitched pretty well for the Dodgers but he pitched a lot of innings. Is he ready to be a closer now where he only pitches in the ninth inning? I don't know the answer to that yet, Brett. So that's certainly a question. Uh, Wade Davis had a great year. Is this kid going to be that good? I don't know. Uh, so that's one. And then I think the, the leadoff thing is overrated. I think that's old school baseball. I think that's, oh, my God, i got to get a little flea at the top of the lineup who gets on, and then the next guy hits behind him. And then my thumpers come up. Baseball's different today. And you've got, why can't Chris Bryant lead off? He runs well. He gets on base. He's an elite base runner. He puts the ball in play, and he gives you power. Tell me why Chris Bryant can't be the leadoff guy.
3: Well he's not gonna get any RBIs. That's the one thing, but no, a, RBIs a, are overrated. RBI's yeah, yeah, a yeah. team
4: stat right? Come on, man. That's what I've heard. Uh, so. Cap, uh, have the Cubs done enough this off season to uh move ahead of the Dodgers as the favorite in the NL?
8: Uh I have them as the favorite in the NL. Again, the Dodgers have a really good team. They went into this offseason going, We've got to reset our cycle on the luxury tax and by doing you know, some of the things that they either have or have not done, you know, they haven't really greatly, vastly improved their team. Again, they have a lot of talent. They're really, really good. But are they ready to be you know, the best team in the National League again? We'll see. They lose Darvish out of their rotation. You know, I trust you know, the numbers say, if you look at their pitching staff, you go, wow, you just paid 200 and some million last year. And that was your entire team? They had a lot of guys They were paying a whole lot of money that didn't even contribute, like Adrian Gonzalez. Now, he's gone. They've traded him away to reset the luxury cycle for them because the penalties are so punitive if you continually exceed the luxury tax. The Yankees are trying to do that, and it all worked out in favor of the Cubs, who still have not reached the luxury tax. I think they're $11 under, which gives them the ability to maybe make a move or two in season if they need to.
5: Uh, I'm not going to say the tsunami word. I'm going to use the avalanche word, given our oh, okay. weather here right, in yeah. uh, Chicago. When does the uh, avalanche start, or is this, is this the, snow, the small snowball that starts the avalanche?
8: I think this is the small snowball that starts the avalanche, and then the, we- the winter warm-up that we're going to get in terms of weather will melt everything into a tsunami
5: of science. <laughs> is, that, is that the hot stove? Now that it, now that the hot stove is lit?
6: Oh, geez. So I've
8: got to
5: think that, it, it, look, at
8: some point, I don't care if it's Scott Boris or who it is, they're going to sit there and go, guys, the clock's ticking and the game has changed. You, Darvish, got 121 or 126, 21 a year. Jake, here's the money, man. Take it or leave it. You've got to make a choice here. And so I think at some point you're going to start to see guys sign. Like I was looking at an article yesterday. Austin Jackson's agent told him, we're probably looking two years, fifteen million, seven and a half a year. He had a, hit over three hundred. He's an elite defender. That's what the numbers said he should get paid. He signed a two-year deal for a total of $6 million. The game's different now. Guys are not going to pay stupid money with a luxury tax staring him in the face for guys that they deem to be good players, but not, oh, my God. You know, if Bryce Harper goes out and hits 45 home runs and drives in 130 this year and hits 320, yeah, he's going to get his 300 and whatever million dollars. But what if he goes out and hits 28 home runs with 88 RBIs and hits 290 and plays really good defense? Is that a $350 million player? I say he's not. We'll see what he does.
3: Hey, Cap, rest the arm up for tomorrow after your your day of bowling. I'm sure you're going to be a little sore. Get to work out in tomorrow. And uh, the guys will see you here tomorrow at 9.
8: I look forward to it. Get ready. Game on, baby.
4: <laughs> see you tomorrow, Cap. See you,
8: Cap. Thanks a lot. See you, boys. Have a good day.
3: David Kaplan uh, right here on ESPN 1000. Quickly, breaking news at the Olympics.
4: Oh, no. Can- oh,
3: no. Canada's Caitlin Laws throws the wrong curling stone.
4: Okay, so it was. Did someone place it in her? I don't know. I in just, her bag? Do I, they
3: have curling bags for their curling stones? You know, these stones are like these big, like yeah. cement things, kind of. Do
4: people have their own, like you know how you can take a baseball and you can rub the baseball and get it right, yeah. the right groove? Do, do they do
3: this with the stone? So. I don't think so. But I'm looking at her, at her video right now in Canada against Korea, and uh, I
5: thought you were going to give me the NFL news. <laughs>
3: Was well, there oh, Frank Reich?
5: Yeah. Yeah, Frank Reich has emerged as the favorite oh, yeah. to become the Colts coach. That's We're, from Schefter. So, so did I. I thought that, that that's where he was <laughs> going with that <laughs> That it was like Olympic. That's I was pop-
4: like, oh, good. We're going to slip this in at
5: the I end. All right. See,
4: that's only a possibility. This. <laughs> This.
3: this happened she, she actually threw one with the yellow handle which was Korea's not the red handle
4: which was Canada's so did that happen today or did Just it happen not. yesterday and they're showing it today because we're a day uh, behind You'll and see the Olympics it tonight. are all You'll oh, see it tonight. Well, we see it in prime time we'll see it in prime time live coverage or prime time coverage that was taped beforehand yeah, that's I'm right. sorry that the Ugh.
5: Olympics aren't in your time I mean, zone come that's on. the only country that matters thanks to Kelly
3: Krell Chris Herring and uh, Cap listen to Cavs and Celtics at two right here I ESPN 1000.
1: USA!